Blog Talk Radio. Michael Acolin, also known as the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger, and I welcome you this evening to a Metsian winter wonderland, <laughs> if you'll allow me. Uh, the weather outside is a bit frightful. Uh, we hope here at a Metsian podcast you'll find this evening's show delightful. With me to help push the sled down Roosevelt Avenue is our grand high exalted president of podcast operations, Sam Maxwell. Hello, sir. Hello. Um, I'm getting a nice view of the skyline tonight, so I'm ready to talk Mets baseball while looking at my favorite city in the world. That's cool. Now, if I'm not mistaken, being that this is the holiday season, uh, Hanukkah ends tomorrow, Friday, correct? Uh, Yes. So this is the last night of Hanukkah, the eighth night of Hanukkah, and tomorrow is the full spectrum day. That's how we do it. It's a sunrise, sunset thing. Actually, it has nothing to do with sunrise, sun, uh, sunrise part. I just, I guess, I wanted to quote Fiddler on the Roof if we're talking about Jews. And I, I noticed on Twitter uh, that you and your mom were by Radio City, and you guys visited uh, a bush, a particular bush. Uh, yes, the Hanukkah bush, uh, as I like to call it, uh, or actually a tree celebrating the birth of a particular Jew. Uh, it, uh, it was really unexpe- unexpected. My mom um, I didn't really plan it out. It was just all of a sudden like, hey, I'm going to be going over the tree. Do you want to come with me? So it was nice to get somewhat, even during all of this, that Christmas movie feeling that only New York City can provide, uh, whoever comes through, whether it's somebody who's lived here their whole lives or the tourists that come to take tree, take uh, photos of the tree from all over. Well, happy Hanukkah to all. Uh, Sam, send your mom my regards. Uh, and I will. Let's Thank get you. on to the show. Uh, helping us close out the year 2020, what a strange year it's been, uh, is author, writer, and proprietor of Gotham, Gotham Baseball. Uh, he's a fellow Brooklynite. Uh, since relocated. I won't hold that against them. Uh, we affectionately call him Heel. Mark, welcome back to a Messian podcast. Do me a favor, tell us what you're doing and where you're doing it. But first, uh, we're long past our days of playing punch ball in the schoolyard. Tell us how you're doing and how you feel. Welcome. Hey, guys, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I, I really enjoy being on with you guys. Uh, as you go, as you know, as you introduced me, uh, uh, I've been doing Gotham baseball since 2005. Whether it's been a magazine or a website, now a book. Um, and uh, you know, this is our 20th year. Of course, 20, uh, 15th year, 2020 being the <laughs> being the year that it was. It certainly will always be memorable. Uh, and uh, you know, for those who have suffered through it, uh, we've all suffered through it in our own way. And uh, you know, it, it, 
it's it's like everything else, guys. You know, you 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 take what come what life throws at you, and you know, kind of defines you how you deal with it. You know, and um, I, I hope I hope all you, all of you and your families are are healthy and safe uh, during this holiday season. And certainly, um, you know, it's just, I, you know, you have to laugh at it. You know, you have to laugh at it. You know, I, I, people always tell me, Oh, you finally wrote a book and it came out during 2020, (laughs) you know, uh, two weeks before I was supposed to have my book launch was when they shut everything down. And the place I was supposed to have my book launch was Foley's which as you, you know, as, as you guys know, is now, you know, done at least, at least, oh. at least it's done in, in, in its, you know, current location. Uh, you know, Sean Clancy has been telling folks that, you know, Foley's will reopen in some other location, hopefully. But, you know, we just don't know. So, you know, it's, just, it's been that kind of a year, you know. Uh, for those of us lucky enough not to have had any, um, you know, certainly any deaths or severe illnesses from COVID, you know, you have to laugh at it otherwise because – you know, let's be honest, otherwise you're going to go bananas. So, uh, you know, if people are interested, you know, there's still some time. I think if uh, anybody wants a book uh, or, or an autographed copy, I'm sure if you order from Amazon or bookshop.org, you can probably get it in time for Christmas. But if you want a signed copy from me, uh, you'd have to go to um, GothamBaseball.com and go to the section where it says the book, and it gives you um, all of your opportunities um there's all different kinds of ways to get it uh and um you know if you want an autographed copy from me you just send me an email to heels9 gmail.com and uh, i'd be happy to send uh anyone an autographed copy but you probably should get it you know get that request and either by today or tomorrow uh because uh the post office is not as reliable as it once was but um you know uh the the you know, Gotham Baseball is, is, is living on, you know, uh, not just in the book, but certainly the website, GothamBaseball.com. Uh, I've been writing the Gotham Baseball column in the Wave newspaper uh, for the last couple of years. Uh, and this year we're amping up our coverage once again uh, with the new regime. Uh, it seems like I've been welcomed back into the bosom of Mets media. So I've been covering all the different um, press conferences that we've been having uh, since uh, – the Cohen regime has taken over. And I think the last guys, the last time we got, we, we, we spoke guys, um, we were still in the throes of the Wilpon era. So uh, that's what's been happening, you know, since, since the last time we spoke. So, uh, you know, ownership change, uh, the book and COVID. There you go. I think I've summed it up. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, congratulations on a 15 year body of work, by the way. Uh, and uh, Mark Haley, everyone, the book is Gotham Baseball, New York's All-Time Team. Sam, say hello. Hey, Mark, it's great to hear from you, and, and you're right. You know, we've all been through a lot since uh, since all of this is, uh, since the last time we had you on, and uh, I'm really happy that you were able to come on and we were able to finally talk about this list that you've assembled. Well, you know, uh, what's funny is, is that, you know, I, I, I really thought that, um, I, I really thought that given the nature of the book, you know, and given the kind of arguments that it starts, that, um, 
it really would have lent itself to having book signings and author talks. And it, it's not as effective um, doing the Zoom, you know, thing. Uh, it's, it's just not. Um, and for whatever reason, I think that, you know, once things get a little bit back to normal, and I'd be, I'll be able to have, even if it's social distancing kind of book signings, I think that people, people like to put their own spin on it. You know, they like to, to say, you know, well, this person should have been the catcher and this person should have been the manager. And I had a great uh, Zoom interaction uh, the other night when I was talking to the New York Giants uh, Preservation Society. And uh, there was like 50 people on that Zoom. It was great. You know, those are the kinds of Zooms that really work for something like this. And, and, and very, uh, you know, Gary Mintz, the guy who runs it, uh, he, you know, I was able to sell some books, which was great. You know, like not, there wasn't my reason for doing it, but it was a nice byproduct. And, uh, you know, I love baseball. And, you know, one of my columns that I write, because as, as, as the Brooklyn boys know, uh, that's what we used to do. We used to sit on the stoop. When we weren't playing stoop ball, stoop ball, we were sitting on the stoop, and we were arguing about whose players were better, whose teams were better. Uh, you name the sport, but that's what we argued about. And this was, you know, this was my way of kind of bringing that back. Um, that's why the first couple of chapters are autobiographical, because I wanted people to get, number one, because I had read Marty Appel's book, Now Pitching for the Yankees, and he did that. And I thought it was very you know, having that uh, autobiographical aspect to it where people get a sense of who you are and why you wrote what you wrote and why you do what you do. Uh, because let's be honest, I mean, as much as I'm impressed with myself, no one knows who the hell Mark Healy is, <laughs> you know? And so I wanted to set the stage a little bit. Hey, just, Trevor, Trevor know, May knows who you are now. Trevor May knows who you are. So just <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I think he liked the question too. That was cool. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just funny. Uh, and you know who else was really nice, guys? Uh, Luis Rojas. When I, when I interviewed him uh, the other day, uh, you know, I'd never interviewed him before. And everyone knew him. So they were like, hi, Luis. And he was like, hey, hey, guys, nice to see you again. So I think I was the only person on the call who had never interviewed him because I've been persona non grata uh, at, at City Field these, these, uh, low these, uh, low these uh, the last decade. So uh, – you know, when Luis, he was like, oh, it's very nice to meet you, Mark. I was like, really? I was like, wow, this guy's all right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's, 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 um, I, I really wanted that, I really wanted that aspect to the book so that people kind of understood the genesis of what they were reading. Because you'd be, you know, as, as much as I think, you know, Gotham baseball has been around a long time. Uh, there's still a lot of people that don't know what it is. So rather than assume uh, that people know what it is, I go back to my journalism training and you just assume that people don't know. So you just spell it out a little bit and you give them some background. So that was kind of why we did that. And it lends itself to this show because we we're always talking about Brooklyn. We're always arguing about players we like and players we don't like and managers we like and general managers we like and that stuff. And that's why I think the book, has resonated with people who have told me why they like it. You know, I've had, uh, I had people reach out to me and say, like, I'm really not big of a, a big sports person, but you know, I bought this book because I have always enjoyed the way you write. And, you know, I came away with it, even though I really didn't know whether or not your choices were right. I really enjoyed the writing. So 
like that was really cool too. You know, that's been, that's been a cool outcome, you know, people just enjoying the writing, you know, um, cause I know, I know you guys, I, I know you, you, uh, you guys and, and me are a lot alike in the sense that when we listen to things or when we read things or when we watch things, you know, we're not, um, zombies. Like we want to find out something. We want to walk away from it. Even if we think we know about it, we want to walk away from it and say, wow, I didn't know that. And that was how I wrote this book. I wanted to write it in a way, even though I was writing about people like Willie Mays and, and, you know, Babe Ruth and whoever, you know, Derek Jeter, I wanted there to be something in every chapter where people were like, Hey, I, I was a Derek Jeter fan. I didn't know that. So that was, that was kind of, how I challenge myself, you know, as, as a writer. And I didn't want to challenge the reader. I wanted to engage the reader. I wanted to hopefully educate the reader whenever I could. Um, and that's a fine line, you know, that's a balance that you have to find without sounding like a, you know, a complete, like you don't want to lecture people, you know, you want, you don't want to do the well, actually, you know, the well actually way of writing, which I tend to do sometimes on, on Twitter, you know, so, and, and I didn't want to come off that way. So, you know, it was, it was that kind of a journey. Um, and it was a journey and I don't, I don't mean to use it in the eye rolling way, but you know, it really was, you know, my mom had gotten sick during the whole process and, you know, she passed away before the book was, was published. Um, that was emotional. It took me a while to get back into the writing aspect of it to get it finished. Uh, but the publisher was very supportive. My family was wonderful in supporting me through all that. And, um, you know, it, 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 like, like I said, it, it really was something that, you know, I'm so glad. I When I finished it, I couldn't believe I finished it. When it got published and I got the box of books, I couldn't believe I actually had written a book and that my name was on the cover. And uh, it was really cool. You know, I, I, I can't I, – I know that's not the, you know, that's not the way you're supposed to – express it but it was it was really cool and it was um you know i felt like if nothing else uh you know gotham baseball was now you know not just a magazine that had been around or a website that you could go on but the book kind of i guess brought it home does that make sense yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike, before uh-huh. Mike, before we pass it back over to you, I just want to follow up real quick if that's okay. Go right ahead. Um, so, Mark, I want to talk about the book, but, like, you brought up a, a, about kind of being persona non grata at City Field. And so, leading, like, if you could lead us up to Gotham Baseball in being somebody who – so what exactly happened? What, what exactly was it that kept this chapter of New York baseball pushing you out? Well, I mean, it all went back to it, – it, it all kind of went back to um, – I had been covering the Mets and the minor leagues uh, from 19 – like kind of 1998 was when I really uh, – 1996 is when I started working in media. And I, I would cover the Mets from time to time. I'd write about the Mets from time to time. 1998 was when I started at um, Associated Press. So I really started writing about the Mets and the Yankees um, a lot during that time. Uh, in, in, in 2001, uh, and I write about this in the book, but in 2001, I started covering the Cyclones. 
uh, the Brooklyn Cyclones because uh, and, and that, that's a whole another that that's another hour of conversation. But I started covering the Cyclones in 2001, and really ingratiated myself with the organization. I got to know Gary LaRocque really well, who was the director of scouting at the time. That's where I met Omar Manaya. It's where I met Jim Duquette. It's where I met Steve Phillips. It's where I met you know a lot of the scouts and the coaches in the system. Edgar Alfonso. Uh, Edgardo's brother was the manager of the Cyclones during that first season. And, you know, I, not that we're best buddies, but we got pretty close, uh, as close as a, a writer and a person, you know, running a team can get. I got very close to the players, uh, but not in, a, not in an unprofessional way, you know, in a, in a very professional way. You know, I, I, I treated them like the prospects they were, whereas I think other people who were covering the team at the time – covered them like they were jokes, you know, like they were like, uh, you know, oh, let's make fun of the players having to eat like, you know, Big Macs after games because they, you know, couldn't afford to go out and get themselves something to eat. Um, so, you know, from 2001 to about 2004, you know, though I was covering the Mets minors mostly, I was also covering the Mets major league team. And so it was right around that time where, uh, and I had been covering Casimir, Scott Casimir, when he was drafted. Uh, you know, I was one of the first people to interview him. And we talked about how his favorite player was Billy Wagner. Um, how, he, you know, and I always thought that, you know, Scott uh, at some point in his career would be, would come out of the bullpen just for that reason, you know, cause he was from Houston and I'd gotten to know him and I'd gotten to know his family. And, when so when Scott was traded, and this is where it all kind of like went off the rails. When Scott was traded, I had known about it 24 hours before it happened. Bob Clappish had talked about it on MSG Sports Desk, uh, MSG Sports Desk, uh, a couple of days prior to it was a rumor that Clapp that that Casimir was on the block. So at that time, we didn't have Twitter, we didn't have Facebook, we had message boards. I know you guys are all old enough to remember the message boards. So I was on one of the message boards and, and people were just well, clap trap and, you know, Clappish is making it up, you know, because he, he's a Yankee fan and he doesn't like the Mets and he doesn't like Casimir. Well, I was pretty shocked by it too, but I knew Clappish was a really good journalist. So what I did is I wound up, you know, reaching out to everyone in the organization that I knew. And that's when I found, found out that uh, at that time, uh, Jim Duquette uh, was, had been forced to hire, uh, you know, Al Goldis as one of the assistant GMs. Al Goldis was, was um, Jeff Wilpon's batting coach. I mean, he was a, a guy in his own right who had become, you know, renowned as a scout and things like that. But he's also very good friends with Fred Wilpon. And Fred Wilpon had not really wanted to hire Jim Duquette in the first place. He had wanted to hire Omar Minaya to be the baseball side of the, of the GM job and Jim Duquette to be the business side of the GM job, with both of them uh, reporting to Fred directly. And, you know, Omar didn't want that. Jim didn't want that. So it was Jeff really that had pushed Jim to get the GM job uh, as the interim when, when Phillips was let go. And then the full-time GM in 2004. So I found out that the trade was legit, and I broke the story. But I broke the story on the the Mets Inside Pitch official magazine, the, the website called nyfansonly.com. Uh, 
And so I, I said, who's running the show? And I said, not only is this rumor true, but it seems as if Al Goldis has done an end around his general manager and Fred Welpon is listening to the wrong people and he's going to pull the trigger on this trade and it's going to be basically undo all of the planning that the scouting department and the, and the farm system people had been doing for years. Casimir uh, was at that time, guys, I don't know if you remember this, but at that time, Casimir was like top five prospect in baseball, not just in the Mets system. He was the number one Mets, Mets prospect, but he was number five in all of baseball. And the fact that the only guy that they got back in the deal was Victor Zambrano, who was a non-tender candidate, considering he was arbitration eligible and had been terrible and was coming off injuries. So the, the, the story goes live on the site. Um, Editor-in-chief at the time was Patrick Teal, who I had been writing for for years, totally trusted me. And the Mets were very upset, so they called Patrick. Actually, they called Scout.com, and Bernie Kozar's brother, Bruce, uh, Brian, uh, Brian Kozar, was the guy that had run Scout.com at that time, and that, was, that, that website was under, their, was under their purvey. So they called up Brian, um, and they said, uh, you know, you got to take that story down. And Brian was like, well, what do you mean i got to take the story down? Uh, is it true? And they're like, yeah, but it makes the organization look bad. So Brian was like, well, it's currently blowing up the, the site, so I'm not taking it down unless it's incorrect, and it's not incorrect. And then what happened was is that as the pressure built and they couldn't take the, the, the story down, uh, somebody from the Mets PR department uh, then called my boss at Associated Press because I, I had been working freelance for, uh, and, you know, for the Mets Inside Pitch magazine. And they uh, told my boss that I had been impersonating a Mets Associated Press beat writer, which, of course, there's no such thing. Um, and my boss didn't even tell me about it. He was just like, there's no way Mark would do that. You know, he's very, we, we, we let him do the freelance stuff because he's very responsible. And if he's got a story, uh, it's, it's, it's accurate. And is it accurate? They, that's what they said to him. Say, is it accurate? And he was like, yeah, so what's the problem? Well, the problem was is that no one really had this story. And the next day uh, at the Met Minor League System, um, the, the, Mets, the Mets minor league um, offices down at St. Lucie, uh, one of the top scouts, I'm not going to use his name, but one of the top scouts who's still in scouting said, who's this guy, Mark Healy? Because he knows exactly what the hell is going on in our system, <laughs> you know? And I mean, look, it, when you work in the minors and you cover the minors uh, for as long as I did, you have those kind of contacts and you have that kind of trust and I don't burn my sources. So um, basically what happened was is that they stopped – um, they stopped, you know, issuing me credentials. Then when I started Gotham Baseball, which was the next year, 2005, when I started Gotham Baseball, uh, they denied us credentials again. So uh, at the time I had a partner. So I told my partner, I said, look, you cover the Mets since they're not going to let me in the building and I'll cover the Yankees. And so I wound up getting to cover the Yankees for most of that time. And I still wrote about the Mets. I still covered the Mets. I still covered the Mets minors. You know, I still was allowed to do that because all the people that I had made friends with in the PR departments of the respective leagues, 
you know, they all trusted me and they were, you know, they weren't going to listen just to the Mets telling me not to, you know, give me credentials. But really it was from 2005 on, uh, I maybe was let in the building once or twice um, and was told to my face that, you know, they don't like the way I do business. And I, I, sorry, I dropped my phone. Um, And I said to them, I said, what do you mean? You know, like my, I said, what, tell the truth. (laughs) You know, Um, and it had happened a couple of times. Like I had broke the news that Mookie Wilson was going to be the manager of Brooklyn the year he was the manager in Brooklyn. And the problem was, is that they hadn't told Mookie yet, but I didn't know that. How was I supposed to know that? You know, all I know is I knew that Mookie was going to be the manager and Mookie didn't want to be the manager. So that caused the problem. So I was basically causing problems by telling the truth. Um, And they didn't want somebody that they couldn't control. And that's always been the case with the Mets. You know, if you work for the Daily News or you work for the New York Post, you know, you know, they can't bully you. But if you're an independent, you know, publisher or an independent uh, reporter, they can bully you. And they did. So I wound up being, and and ironically, I covered the Yankees, which I was a Met fan my whole life. I go cover the Yankees and I'm treated like I was Mike Lupica. You know, I was, I was able to move around Yankee stadium. I was able to go into the clubhouse. I covered the 2009 world series. I mean, I covered some of the greatest players that have ever played in the city. And, you know, and I was treated like a professional and, you know, cause I was a professional and, um, you know, George Steinbrenner, uh, on more than one occasion, wrote me very nice letters about how much he liked Gotham baseball. Uh, needless to say, I never got a letter like that from the Wilpons. <laughs> you know, of course, it didn't stop me from being a Mets fan. But, you know, um, you know I, I, even when I started to write the book, you know, like, uh, if it wasn't for Matt Cerrone, uh, who you guys know, fully well, I wouldn't have been able to interview David Wright, which was a key part of my book uh, because the Mets basically denied me. They, they gave me a credential, but then wouldn't allow me to interview. So if it wasn't, so I was able to actually get an interview with David Wright through Matt Cerrone. And then the next day when I went up, when they gave me my credential, I was able to thank David in person. You know, people forget, you know, especially people now that were at uh, people back then that were at City Field didn't know that I had covered David when he was in St. Lucie, when he was in Capital City, when he was in Binghamton. So, you know, I had I had established relationships with some of these players back when they were kids in the system. So, you know, it it, it, it was always kind of a weird thing. Um, I always felt like. You know, I was treated like uh, Manish Meta, but I was actually just doing my job and telling the truth. And, um, you know, and, and I never, like, I wasn't a, I wouldn't go in there and I wasn't a big shot. I wasn't like, oh, I need to talk to this person and I need to do this. I just did my job. I just went in and, um, you know, and that's why I get along with a lot of guys on the beat and a lot of the columnists because, you know, they understand the dynamic of what I was dealing with. I mean, Mike Vaccaro from The Post gave me a great review for my book. Jack Curry from the Yes Network gave me a great review for my book. And, you know, it wasn't for any other reason than they've always treated me like a professional. I've always treated them like they were professionals. And so needless to say, when, when Fred Wilpon sold the team to Steve Cohen, 
the first thing I did was apply for credentials and apply to be put back on the media list. And it happened in basically, I don't know, 30 seconds <laughs> in reply. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, I can show you guys the email. Um, so, you know, and it's always funny is because up until, up until really, up until uh, probably 2008, I had always been somebody that, had defended, you know, had defended Jeff Wilpon because I had worked with Jeff and covered Jeff uh, when he was running the Cyclones. And it really wasn't until um, the way they handled the whole Willie Randolph thing that I, I really started to understand for myself, because I had to confirm it for myself. I just couldn't go by rumors. I had to confirm it for myself of how much Jeff had control of the, of the organization and how much he was enabled by Fred. And, you know, it really wasn't up until that, it was up until that moment, because I remember reading about how I had covered that, and I really blamed Omar. You know, I really had blamed Omar. And, and it didn't really happen until after the fact that I realized that it was really Tony Bernazard, uh, who was behind it all the time. And he was another guy that couldn't stand me because I always told the truth. So, um, you know, the minute Steve Cohen took over, I was able to apply for credentials and be reinstated uh, with the Mets. So, uh, you know, and again, it's not about, I mean, I don't need credentials to love the Mets. I don't need credentials to, you know, do my job. But um, that show of respect is something that I've been waiting for for a long time from the Met organization. And it was nice to see uh, how, quickly maybe they may revoke them after this interview but uh <laughs> but um it was uh it was huge it was huge to get the opportunity to you know to be on part of the part of the press corps now uh if they do issue issue credentials for the 2020 season 2020 20, 2021 season that uh that I'll be able to get to the ballpark and, and cover some events and cover some interviews and games and uh, I'm hoping that I'm able to do my job and um, I can't really ask for anything more than that and just, you know, treat me like a professional like everybody else. Mike, I'm going to send hey. it back to you, uh, but based off of everything I've just heard, uh, that business model is unsustainable. <laughs> that was a, a, a lot of information, A, and B. Uh, I'm glad those days are behind us. Mark, I know you pressed the time. I'm going to let you cherry pick. You've been involved on in the Zoom pressers uh, that involve Trevor May, Porter, Rojas, and uh, McCann. Would you like to address that? Or one last question about the book and uh, before we yeah, let you go. Yeah, sure. Um, we, uh, yeah, we, um, we, uh, I, I was very impressed with Trevor May. Uh, I really liked his energy. Uh, he seemed like, you know, I know he's, I know he's older than he looks. Uh, he looked like a 19-year-old kid who was just like signing his first contract. And you know, this isn't his first rodeo. Uh, and I love the way. I mean, I love the way he answered most of the questions. But I really like the way he answered my question because I've always questioned um, how, you know, how guys who are hard throwers, you know, fold analytics into their approach. And he had a great answer. You know, he loved the question. He loved like talking about it. He loved talking about his relationship with Hefner. And I like, I like how this is being done because Trevor May talked about his relationship with Hefner. 
uh, McCann today talked about his relationship with Matt's, which I was really excited about because I'm a big Matt's guy. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a Matt's guy. Every time I see Matt's, I think of, I think of John Matlack, and I only, I, it's not just because he wears number 32. I think it's just the way he is. He's a lanky lefty, and I still think that with the right, the right mix of coaching and now that he has a catcher that knows him, I, I, I'm just, I, I was just so excited by that. Um, you know, uh, the fact that Luis Rojas is getting the opportunity to hire somebody that he wanted in Dave Jouse as the, as the bench coach. Um, I was really impressed with Porter. Uh, you know, Jared Porter just seemed like a guy that was just excited. You know, that his, uh, his, he was pumped to be a Met was his big quote that I, that I shared with everyone. Uh, it's also the title of my column tomorrow in, in the wave newspaper, which I'll share online. Um, you know, that was kind of my takeaway from him, but he, he, uh, he's like Jim Duquette and a lot of people blame Duquette for the Casimir trade. It really wasn't his deal, but that's aside from the, aside from the point. Um, Porter, Porter is a scouting guy that respects analytics. And I think that the combination of that is where I think we, the Mets need to go forward with. Uh, you know, a general manager that respects analytics and he, and he uses them as a, as a tool, but he also has a scouting background, so he knows talent when he sees it. And I think that combining those two things and not having little Lord Fortleroy around to, you know, pull the puppet strings, you know, just the way these moves are happening, it's just, uh, it's just fascinating to watch. And it, it's you know, the, the difference between Sandy Alderson under the Wilpons and Sandy Alderson now, he's like a completely different guy, completely different. Um, he's not searching for what to say that's not going to get him grilled afterwards uh, mm. or, or what, what's going to be held, you know, verbatim, you know, li- you know, in the literal sense by the media, uh, you know, to create even more friction. Um, it's, it's a completely different experience covering the Mets under these circumstances, uh, guys. It really is. It's, it's, uh, it's great to watch. It's energizing. You know, I, 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 I think I wrote about it a couple of weeks ago. Usually we would listen to a Sandy Alderson press conference, and we'd, we'd, our, eyes would, our eyes would be in pain from all the eye-rolling we were doing. You know, and not, not, not so much on Sandy, but just because, you know, we knew that he was, be, you know, he was given these talking points. And, and then he had to like basically grit his, grit his teeth and bear it. Now I'm not going to lighten any candles, you know, you know, he did cash quite a few nice checks uh, from the Wilpons in the process, but you know, just the difference between Sandy then and Sandy now is, is, is really kind of unbelievable. That's a, that's a great point by you very quickly before we let you go to the book, I will reveal this. You didn't, assemble a roster you assembled a team which leaves out yes. a lot of people eight position players five starting pitchers one reliever i think the relievers the layup everyone can guess that one you were pretty fair across the board five yankees three mets two brooklyn dodgers four new york giants now my question to you and perhaps if sam has one before you go who was the one player you struggled with the most who didn't make this team Oh, who didn't make the team? Hmm. Correct. Uh, wow. 
that's a good question. Nobody's asked me that question. If that they've done it, like who was the most difficult player? You know, what was the diff- most difficult position? I, you know, that's a good question. It's probably it's probably a tie between. Um, it's probably a tie between uh, Yogi Berra and hmm. you know the pitches. There was about four or five of them that that I didn't want to leave off, and that was the da- the Dazzy Vance chapter touches on a lot. Was Josh Chesbro uh, ever a consideration? Who? Jack Chesbro was he ever a consideration? No, Ches- no, Chesbro, no, Chesbro wasn't under consideration. I wrote about him because he was one of those. He was the inspiration for Gotham, uh, Jack Chesbro. Uh, because when I first read about Jack Chesbro, I was like, "How the hell do I not know who Jack Chesbro is?" And and how do I not know that you know that there were forty-one games, forty-one wins in a season is the record? You know, how do I not know that? You know, uh, before reading that, I would have said, oh, you know, 30 games when Lefty Gomez did it, you know, but that's what I would have, that's what I would have said. I learned not Lefty Gomez, Lefty Grove. I, that's what, that would have been my guess, you know, or, or, uh, you know, McLean doing it for the Tigers. Uh, but, but um, it was probably Barra and, and um, the other one, the other one was probably um, Yogi Berra and the other one was probably Mantle. You know, finding a place for Mantle. Uh, you know, that was hard because Mantle was one of those guys that I really enjoyed writing about. We dedicated a whole uh, issue to, uh, to to Mantle in Gotham Baseball. Our seventh issue was the Mantle issue. Um, we had a relationship with Mickey Mantle's restaurant for, for a while. That's where we did our podcast. And, um, you know, I have a nice little, um, you know, nice little smile on my face whenever I think of the Mantle family and how gracious they were. In allowing us to use uh, Mickey Mantle's signature and 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 likeness for our products, um, so Mantle was hard, but I, I I stuck strictly to left field, center field, right field, and you know I, I just couldn't find a place for Mantle. I wasn't going to put Mantle in left field. He wasn't a left fielder, and I really wanted Monty Urban to be the left fielder. Um, right field is always going to be roof. And center field, you know, I, I know a lot of people will argue that Mickey, that Willie Mays didn't play in New York City long enough. But it's not about, you know, first of all, A, it was my book, so I was going to put whoever I wanted at whatever position I wanted. I used the fan vote as a guide and mostly followed it because we had had a ballot that came out in like 2013 that thousands of people voted on. And I used that as a guideline, but I didn't really use it as the end-all, be-all. Um, but, you know, I, I, I really thought that Barra, with his uh, history with the Mets and the Yankees, uh, I thought he would have been voted in by a landslide because of that. Uh, I knew Campy would get, Campanella would get some votes. Um, the, the, the giant on the, on, the, on the ballot was Brezhnehan, Roger Brezhnehan. Uh, he didn't get many votes. Uh, and I had put in, I had put Gary Carter on the ballot, and I explained why I put Gary Carter on the ballot and not Mike Piazza in the book. Um, but Piazza won a landslide as a write-in. So when 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 that happened, I was like, how can I leave Piazza off this team? 
Then I looked into the numbers, and I'd always thought that Mike Piazza was the best hitting catcher I've ever seen. You know, and that includes that includes Bench. Um, Bench was a great hitter, but the reason that Bench is the greatest catcher of all time is just how brilliant he was defensively. He was brilliant defensively, and he was a great hitter. Um, and and so he's the best ever in New York. Piazza is the best hitter, and might be the most underrated fielder uh, as a catcher. Uh, that's ever played the position in New York because the only thing he could not do was throw runners out. It's the only thing he couldn't do. He did everything else. And, Mm. and you talk to pitchers that worked with him on a regular basis. And, you know, and I illustrate this in the book. When you look at all of the secondary stats for catchers, when you look at how he blocked the plate, how he blocked pitches in the dirt, uh, how durable he was, um, when, when, you know, even, even guys that didn't like, even guys that didn't like Mike behind the plate, like Pedro uh, Martinez, um, even they have to admit that, you know, the guy was, you know, the guy knew how to call the game. He knew how to frame pitches. He knew how to play the position. And it was all about work ethic with him, you know. And um, it, for me, once the fans voted him in with the write-in, as hard as it was not to put Yogi on there, I felt like I didn't have a choice. Then I interviewed Mike Vaccaro, and I, I explained my dilemma to him because, you know, at that point, you know, when you're trying to struggle and you're trying to make a decision that's not going to – that's going to be – that's going to start an argument, but it's not ridiculous on its face. Like uh, when guys put, you know, Willie Randolph as, as a manager ahead of – Terry Collins or, or, or put Terry Collins on a, on a manager list ahead of Gil Hodges, you know, cause it's only their personal preference, uh, not based on anything based in reality. Um, and when I said to Mike Vaccaro, I said, Mike, you know, I, I feel like I got to put Piazza there. Like, what do you think? He goes, well, he goes, if it makes you feel any better, he goes, oh, Yogi's great. He goes, Mike Piazza is not just, you know, the best right hand, right hand. He's not just, he's not just the best hitting catcher I've ever seen. He's also the best, probably one of the best right-handed hitters I've ever seen. And that kind of solidified it for me. Cause a guy like Mike Vaccaro isn't some recency bias, uh, provocateur, you know, he's a guy that loves and respects and writes about history as much as any sports writer in America. Um, you know, his books are fantastic. Uh, you know, Emperors and Idiots, uh, the first fall classic. Um, you know, Mike is, Mike is the best. Um, so that was, for me, for me, those were the, probably the two hardest. Mark Healy, the book is Gotham Baseball, New York's all-time team. Mark, on behalf of Sam and I, I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas and a happy upcoming New Year. Thank you for your time this evening. Please give us another shameless plug, as we like to say around here. What you're doing it, where you're doing it, tell us about social media and where we can buy this book, sir. Well, uh, as always, you guys can check out my I do all that. I want to thank you guys, as always, for being so welcoming and so hospitable. And uh, I love coming on the show. So. Just absolutely thank you. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to all of you and your families. Please stay safe and, and stay healthy. 
Um, anybody that wants to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Mark C. Healy, M-A-R-K-C-H-E-A-L-E-Y. Uh, L-Y is the Fran Healy side of the family, and he doesn't know how to spell his name correctly. So it's Mark C. Healy, M-A-R-K-C-H-E-A-L-E-Y. Nice man, by the way, uh, Fran. Um, go to GothamBaseball.com. All the information about the book is on the, the book section of the tab, uh, of the menu tab, on, right on the front page. Uh, and you can also check us out on Facebook uh, at Heels9 and uh, GothamBaseball.com uh, is also on Instagram. So uh, we're everywhere. GothamBaseball.com, Gotham Baseball, at GothamBaseball on Twitter, uh, at GothamBaseball on, on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, anybody, as everybody knows, I'm always accessible. You guys ever want to ask questions or anything like that? I don't have, I don't set aside an hour on a Thursday at two o'clock. Anytime anybody has a question, has some trivia, wants to, you know, ask me anything, please always don't hesitate to, to reach out on social media. I'd be happy to talk baseball with you. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I love talking with you guys. Sam, you want to jump in? No, I just wanted to say thanks again, Mark. You are uh, certainly not a dearth of information, and we uh, especially, you know, want to keep going. Uh, there's so many different directions to go, whether it's your book, whether it's the Wilpons, whether it's just Mets baseball in general. And I will also say that I always uh, forget that you're from Brooklyn. So let's uh, talk off air about getting you on that other podcast about Brooklyn that I do for both uh, your personal uh, history in Brooklyn as well as the Gotham baseball book. No, I, I think it, I think it would be great, uh, Sam. And, and and again, guys, you know, really thank you for uh, always always making me feel welcome. And uh, I, I'm here whenever you need me. Okay. Likewise, likewise. Good night Take to you, care. sir. Thanks again, Mark. Appreciate it, man. All right, Sam. Uh, for the moment, we're going to entertain a call from eight six zero. Caller, would you please identify yourself? Gentlemen, this is the Big Red Ruckus. How are you? How are you, how you doing, Hello. Red? I I am well. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm ensconced in Litchfield County, Connecticut. Uh, the snow is up past my knees, and it's been uh, a long day of running the snowblower for me and my neighbors. Oh boy. Uh, you know what? That's the lot we we chose. We, we're northeasterners. That's that's what we face. That's what we like. We wouldn't have it any other way. Now that we got you, Red, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it this put it this way. Uh, the Mets had a busy month. They hired yes, sir. a general manager. They signed a catcher, a reliever, and hired a bench coach, but not necessarily in that order. Uh, kind of backwards, you might say. Uh, does that mean anything? Is there anything to that? So, uh, big red ruckus, everyone. What do you think of their series of events? I'm waiting for Mr. Springer in center field. That's what I think. Uh, they, they've done a great job. Uh, I have to trust. Uh, I have to trust Uncle Stevie, right? And we have to trust Sandy. Sandy knows his stuff. Um, as as your previous guest just said, uh, you know, uh, watching Sandy under the Wilpons was like watching a hostage video. So I'm, I'm glad that he's free, and I am I'm very pleased with all the stuff they've done so far. Uh, and like I said, 
uh, I, I want Mr. Springer for center field, and uh, uh, if we can double our Trevors and double our fun, I'll be happy as well. But, you know, uh, the, just it's so much night and day between uh, Mr. Cohen and the previous administration. So, you know, uh, as as Mets fans, we've spent so much time with bags over our heads. It's, it's nice to be able to walk around and, <laughs> and not be laughed at. You know, um, go right ahead, sir. You let us know how long or little you uh, choose to stay. Well, it's up to you. I mean, I, I just called to to thank you for keeping us entertained and doing such a great job and, and, and doing this mitzvah you boys do. Uh, You know, (laughs) I can stay and, and uh, I just wanted to give you some positive reinforcement, but you know, if, if you have nothing else planned, I'm happy to talk. Oh, well, more than happy to have you. So, Sam, uh, an odd series of events, but uh, the result is still the same, positive, right? Uh, Yeah, you know, and and just to go back to what Red was saying about what Mark was saying about Sandy, um, I, like, in the middle of, I forget which one it was, it might have been the general manager one, but I was just like, it's clearly night and day, uh, Sandy's energy between what he was like with the Wilt Bonds and out like not just when he was getting sick. Uh, and unfortunately Sandy did have a lot, maybe, uh, you know, like I don't want to blame Wilt Bonds for the, the cancer that Sandy had to deal with, but stress, you know, is, is a factor in a lot of different things that we can't completely understand. So who knows? Cause he just looks like, like he literally like basking in vitamin D every single day. Uh, everything just seems, much more copacetic, and Mark seems like like the this really excellent intersection of New York baseball, where he can talk the way he did about what it was like to be an independent media person during the Wilpon era, and think about like the times they used to rip up the New York Post. So we used to hear the stories about how they would like literally like burn them in an effigy. Uh, it's just. It, it's it's night and day already. You can tell just in these these. This is you know this is a what a nine week old puppy right here, right? Like this is very very small window, and we're already. That's why it's kind of still so surreal. And when you you listen to Mark uh, talk about it, you got to think to yourself that somebody's going to write the book. And the way Mark talks about it, he may be the perfect person. This this may have to be the next book written. Is you know life. The life and times of the Wilton era. Food for thought, most definitely. Let's talk about some of these guys. A reliever. Uh, what do you think of a uh, a Mr. Trevor May, Big Red? Well, sir, I, I, I think that he's got good stuff. Uh, I think that uh, working with uh, Jeremy Heffer, I, I think he'll get better. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they got. Uh, he's he's uh, been described as, what's the word they used? Filthy? Um, and I understand these terrible things can happen from one moment to the next. And uh, I, I take a lot of comfort in the fact that the Mets are now building for depth. So even if things go bad with somebody's arm, um, I, I think I'm going to be a lot more secure in knowing that there's going to be somebody – in Syracuse that can pick up the, uh, pick up the load. So uh, I I think he's a good signing Trevor. Number one, waiting for Trevor number two, of course, but (laughs) uh, 
<laughs> uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got, and and like I said, I'm I am sleeping more comfortably, secure in the knowledge that if something blows up in somebody's arm, there's going to be somebody in Syracuse who can step up. Sam, here's my concern about Trevor May. Uh, he starts out pretty even playing 44, 48 games a season, and then he misses all of 2017. When he comes back, all right, first year back, 25 innings pitched. In 2019, 64 innings pitched. Last year, uh, compromise season, hard to gauge and, and compare it versus the rest of his body work. But it, it's, it speaks of peaks and valleys, and maybe he's fully recovered by now, maybe not. Uh, these power arms sometimes are somewhat concerning. What do you think? I think that the power arms are certainly concerning, but everything we've been talking about with the way that Trevor May uh, uh, portrayed himself to the media during those press conferences, um, I, I think that he's got a good head on his shoulders, and he will adjust to, you know, however he needs to because he wants to continue to earn a good amount of money for generational wealth for him and his family. And uh, not to say, I mean, you know, it is amazing what even the worst reliever can make um, in, in this day and age. But uh, at the same time, um, it, it, it just seems, yes, I, I would be concerned, but I bet you he's been putting the work in. Obviously, those aren't necessarily stressful innings, stressful pitches. You're not, you're not pitching under duress. Um, but at the same time, uh, I, I think what separates this than, like, them trying to sell us Dylan Betances the you know the year before um, is that you know Trevor was considered one of the premier talents on on the market right now. Dylan Betances really hadn't been premier in about like three years or something like that. You know he had been steadily declining. Whereas what we're talking about here is some serious. Uh, uh, weight to the work that Trevor May has been doing currently. So uh, that's how I look at it. That's how I look at it. And I'd also like to throw out there that we can, we can talk about is the stealth depth move. Big red mentioned depth, stealth depth mode of signing Jared Eikhoff. I believe it was off the non-tender. Uh, he was a non-tender candidate because of some injuries, you know, he, and he's just kind of gotten forced out. So stealth uh, Syracuse Mets move to, I mean, you know, the way uh, the whole Noah Syndergaard thing is going, Jared Eikhoff could actually be fighting for the fifth starter. Can't have too much pitching. Uh, we signed a catcher, James McCann, 30 years old, four years, $40 million. That's cheap. A uh, couple of observations. Never played more than 120 games. Uh, he's used to being behind the plate, meaning that uh, he's not exactly been used as a designated hitter in the American League. Uh, above average arm insofar as caught stealing and good defensively. I'm happy, and he's adaptable to pitchers. Big Red, take it away. Well, sir, I think you're right. Uh, my take on the man is he's a big improvement over what we had. Uh, rule number one, going back to John McGraw probably before him, is being strong up the middle. Um, you know, uh, having uh, – some very excellent people who can play short and second for the Mets, and, and, and we saw them in the back half of last year, uh, having a 
big upgrade behind the plate. And like I said, look, waiting for Mr. Springer uh, is going to be a night and day thing for this team. Um, you know, if if we have Jacob DeGrom and, and a couple of extra arms, um, you know, uh, the the onus is to make this team better in the field. And I think they've already made some very significant steps. Um, I think the pitchers are going to be better because we have a better catcher. Um, you know, I, I just I just see a lot of low strikes being called strikes instead of balls. And, and uh, you couldn't ask for more than that. The fact that the kid can also hit is a good thing. Great points. Sam, he's not real mudo. Sandy said or alluded to timing being an issue uh, and further reasoning. How do you view that? Um, yeah, he might not be uh, JT, but I, I just think there's something to the well-rounded team that, you know, I, I, I of course we wanted to sign all the free agents, but at the same time, you know, he might not be uh, – considering it all that much. And now Philly just hired uh, Dave Zombrowski and maybe all of a sudden, you know, he's back in their good graces. So you never know what's actually going on. I mean, boy, are they in trouble? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, you have a much more competent person in charge there than what seemed with uh, a lot of chaos that all of a sudden uh, everybody's talking about how competent the Mets are. Phillies were starting, even a, a fan of mine, a fan friend of mine, was saying that uh, it's Wilpon shit is basically the exact quote. So um, maybe that uh, turns out to be the way that they they hire him. Uh, they they uh, retain JT Realmuto. I think with uh, James McCann, I was looking at his numbers. He's an all-star on the offensive side, and I wasn't even looking at defensive numbers. Um, and everybody is talking really highly of him being a solid catcher. And with you know, basically really solid, modest offensive numbers that you can really live with, plus a plus defender, I think it's uh, completely the right move. Uh, it seems like we're in agreement. We're happy. Uh, not overly thrilled, but very happy. I think that's a good place to be. Let's move on. Bench coach. Now, I, I haven't been listening or in tune with SNY this whole week. If I'm mispronouncing his name, somebody please correct me, but David Jouse, that's what I'm going with. He's the new bench coach. Luis Rojas requested him. Uh, He was with the Mets in 2010. Otherwise, he was with the Pirates the last seven years. He has experience with the Red Sox, Dodgers, Orioles, and as I said, the Pirates. So, Big Red, take it away with our new bench coach. Listen, Luis is the manager. He should have the bench coach he wants. Uh, there's a degree of comfort there. Um, and obviously, Mr. Jouse has uh, a very full resume. Um, I'm with, with all these things, gentlemen, I am going to give the new administration the benefit of every doubt. If this is the man Luis wants, Luis should have him, period. Let's see what happens. Here, here. I'm in lockstep with you. Uh, I just have a big old grin on my face right now. So, Sam, uh, just like Big Red mentioned, you know, this is what Luis Rojas wanted. This is what he feels he needs in the dugout alongside him to bounce ideas back and forth with. 
Well, I, you know, it, it, it shows what I know is that I don't even remember who his bench coach was this off season. I mean, this past season, I guess it feels like an off season at the same time. It feels like the longest, weirdest off season because none of us could go to baseball, even though we were kind of watching some sort of baseball. Um, and yeah, but it, I, I'm going to keep until I see how this entire thing plays out, I am going to keep just being a believer basically in that the way everything is falling into place and especially that, you know, like, like within, without hesitation, like go back to what Mark was saying in 30 seconds, they got back to him and gave his credentials back and, and, and just things are moving tightly. Things are, are seem like, and I'll use, I used the word earlier, copacetic. And so until I see everything in motion, I can only imagine that it's the right decision. Let us move on to the general manager, our first general manager, not hired by the Wilpons, Jared Porter. Interesting candidate, interesting hire, interesting person, to say the least. Uh, interesting resume. I'll leave it at that. I'll let you guys fill in the blanks. Big Red, take it away. Uh, this is a young man on the make. He's been uh, a target for a lot of teams for a good number of years. He's been very successful in Chicago, uh, successful in Boston. Uh, everything that I read says that this is a guy who really knows his stuff, and not only does he know his stuff, but uh, he's a popular fellow. Um, and when you can have those two things together, uh why not? Again, um, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but uh, I, I got to go with, with management. If this is what Sandy thinks is good, then, you know, he gets, he gets uh, carte blanche at this point in time until, uh, until we see some indication that he doesn't know what he's doing, which I don't think we're going to see anytime soon. Uh, let's go with it. You know, happy days are here again. Yeah, I think everyone also recognizes that we're still in the honeymoon stage. Uh, and not everything is perfect. We're going to have potholes in the road. And, it, you know, it's it's not, as they say, how hard you fall. It's how well you come up or stand up or recover. So, Sam, yeah. this guy has been in, involved with success with Boston since 2004. We know what happened during his time there shifted over to the Cubs just in time for a little bit of success over there. Uh, and then, you know, the last couple of years with Arizona, you know, those are arguably successful years on his resume. But, man, he's been around a lot of success, a lot of historical success. How does that make you feel? Well, it does seem like he's been groomed to be the next generation of uh... – uh, of of these types of wonder boys or wonder uh, people, if you will, because uh, Kim Ng just uh, finally got him. Uh, and, and that's the funny thing, because, you know, we could go completely down a rabbit hole with the fact that the fact that she's the only one uh, speaks, speaks volumes and, and it shouldn't be that way. But, you know, I, I guess it's, you know, steps. But uh, with this, I, I think that, yeah, the writing is on the wall. He's the next generation, and unlike, again, it just keeps coming back to the contrast, unlike the last uh, regime who sat back and let all these wonder people 
go elsewhere and have magnificent resumes and magnificent uh, World Series moments, um, we finally have the next generation, and that's a good feeling. Uh, it's also a good feeling that a lot of this has taken place in December, unlike under the previous regime where they just dragged everything out and as far as relievers go, scraped the bottom of the barrel late January, early February, just before spring training. So Big Red, as you noted, Sam, as you noted, as we all feel and sense, oh, man, this is going on and flushing. And uh, can't wait. Better days are ahead. We're going to celebrate the 1969 Mets this evening, but let's take a quick cycle back to the book because uh, – Big Red, I want to debate one particular position, or maybe even two, from Mark Healy's book. As I said, he uh, assembled a team, not a roster. So there's a lot of names that got left out. I don't want to give away everything. Obviously, he wants people to uh, purchase the book. Let's talk about catcher. Uh, His catcher was Mike Piazza. And, of course, we have Yogi Berra to speak of. We have Roy Campanella to speak of. Uh, I, I think Roy Campanella would be a, an emotional uh, choice. Thing is, the three times he batted 300 every other season is when he won the MVP. That was a piece of cake and a layup for Mike Piazza, don't you think? You want to pick it up, Red? Well, gee, you know, you're looking at 150 years of New York baseball. Uh, we have, you know, this is the great thing about This is why you boys have a podcast. To, to throw stuff like this around um, and, and enjoy the hot stove stuff. Uh, you know, uh, you have, you know, off the top of my head, just think of anybody that uh, that comes to mind. I go back to Uncle Robbie with the Giants and the aughts, okay? Uh, he was tremendous. He's in the Hall of Fame. And, and, and working your way back up from there, uh, you've got so many great catchers that Bill Dickey has to be in any discussion. Right. Because everything Yogi learned, he learned from Bill Dickey. Right. And and, and you just can't, and and we got to remember that number eight is retired in the Bronx. Yes. But it's retired for Bill Dickey and Yogi Berra. So you've got to look at Bill Dickey. And and obviously Yogi is there. Obviously Roy Campanella. Uh, Obviously, uh, obviously, Gary Carter's there too, and if if uh, tremendous offense isn't uh, in the in the mix, then you got to talk about Jerry Grody as, as 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 a tremendous asset to that team. As I said before, your catcher makes your pitchers better, and and my goodness, uh, that that rotation and the way he worked with them, as as you guys probably know. Uh, Jerry Grody sat in on all the pitchers' meetings, which is why he never he, he wasn't as good with the stick as he might have been if he sat in with the hitters' meetings uh, all those years. So, you know, at, at this stage, I, I'm not going. You know, I saw Mike Piazza. He was, as as Mr. Healy said, the only thing he couldn't do was throw out base runners. Other than that, I thought he was tremendous at framing pitchers. I thought he was great at balls in the dirt. He was tremendous at blocking the plate. Um, so I, you want me to go to war with any of these guys? They're fine. Um, you know, I, I guess I'm getting old and I'm willing to see the point, the the good point about anything. Any of these guys deserves 
uh, to be number one. And it's wonderful that we as New Yorkers have the, the benefit of seeing so many of them. You said the magic words, Red. Uh, speaking of military service, Bill Dickey served two years in the military. He retired with a 313 uh, lifetime batting average. Uh, Bill Dickey did, definitely deserves to be on that list. And, uh, you know, Jerry Grody was just such a superior receiver. So, uh, catcher, Sam, I, I know Cam- Campy's hmm. he, he's an all-time sentimental favorite. Yeah, he is. But I think, like we were saying before, you can't argue with the numbers. Um, and like Mark was saying, and I'll reiterate, the only thing that Mike Piazza didn't do well was throw out runners. Um, and, and, you know, and, and you talk to any of those pitchers back then, uh, Al Leiter, uh, Rick Reed, all these guys are always talking about how good Mike Piazza was behind the plate. Um, so, you know, I, I, the, the one thing I'll, I'll say uh, about Yogi from a Mets perspective is that, and we're talking about, you know, because he just said that uh, Yogi's retired, uh, eight is retired twice. Uh, and why not do that? for Gary Carter and Yogi Berra. I know Yogi Berra has the George Stone part of the resume under his, his belt, but he was a major contributor as a coach in not only just 1969, but all of those early years. Uh, and he's Yogi Berra. Um, so I, I want to just give my endorsement to retiring eight twice as well. As a here, little here. nod, you know, like, like as a little nod as well to, to our, Crosstown rivals instead of just constantly being like, like the the problem is we don't want to be whether like the the Wilpons in not wanting to be like the Yankees, uh, kind of just you know shot themselves in in the foot anyway. So it's just a little nod to just being like we can both live in harmony uh, while wanting to still kind of have a friendly competition. Well, three cheers to the future. Uh, once again, that's Mark Healy. The book is Gotham Baseball, New York's All-Time Team. Gentlemen, let's uh, let's celebrate the 1969 New York Metropolitans. Uh, let's spend 20 minutes on that so we have the live version at least to listen to. Uh, and it, it's free form. You go wherever the, wherever you, you choose to go with this. I'll throw out a couple of things, and then we'll just keep going around the room. Uh, when Kuzman and Cleon Jones were out of the lineup and out of the rotation, uh, slightly hurt at different times, the Mets stumbled. Uh, and that was clear. And the way Kuzman surged at the end of the season, just uh, it, was, it was wonderful to see. That, Gil Hodges' platoon system, whereas Leo DeRocha was pushing his starters day in, day out, day baseball in Chicago, Mets were fielding fresh players, and Gil Hodges was maximizing his players, whereas uh, perhaps DeRosha, uh, you know, he might have spent his players, and they, uh, and that's why they faded, because they faded miserably down the stretch. And, of course, there was the Black Cat game. Ah, that's so, that's so, that's wonderful, wonderful piece of baseball history. So take it away, wherever you want, 1969, Big Red. Gee, uh, you, you really can't uh, you can't talk about '69 without talking about '68. Um, right. One of the one of the great big trades was, uh, and 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 this is, oh, how far back do you want to go? Remember that the Mets traded what was it, Jim Hickman and Ron Hunt for Tommy Davis? 
and um, Tommy Davis, he was still a great hitter. Uh, he couldn't move like he used to because he had broken his ankle. So he spent an entire one season with the Mets, and they turned him around again for Tommy Agee and uh, Al Weiss, right? And that was 68. Now, a little bit of trivia. Um, first spring training game the Mets had, uh, Tommy Agee is the leadoff hitter, steps in, uh, steps up to the plate, and Bob Gibson beams him. First pitch of the first spring training game. And um, Tommy Agee was not, I think, uh, all there in the 1968 season, but he came back with a vengeance in, in 1969. And uh, as I mentioned before, you have to be strong up the middle. Uh, and let's remember that Tommy Agee won the gold glove in both leagues. Not a lot of men who can say that. So, uh, you know, that's that's a big thing. Uh, the team was built around pitching. Uh, again, mentioning Grody, mentioning uh, uh, Bud Harrelson at short, and... Sam, did we lose him? Yeah, I guess we lost Red. Oh, what a shame. Let's see if we can get him back, maybe. Maybe we'll get him back. But picking up, uh, this was the first year that the National League split up into divisions. So, the you know, New York Mets were the National League East champs. And my uncle tells me stories. He says one of the most impressive things that he ever saw was how the Mets beat up on the Braves in the NLCS. That coming from a Yankee fan. Uh, figure out through it out there. So pick it up, Sam. Nineteen sixty-nine. Well, I mean, the World Series is certainly the one that gets all the press. Um, but when looking at this, and I'm trying to open it, when looking at this National League pennant, um, it, it, I just, I, yeah, I mean, they swept them, right? I don't know they why just pounded them. Uh, yeah. So and I mean, like like we have to remember who this Braves team was. I think that's the thing that like really comes up is like you had Hank Aaron on, them. and I'm trying to I'm just gonna have to look up the 1969 Atlanta Braves and see who else we got. But I mean that that's what we I, I am I can only guess that the Atlanta Braves, which and and the weirdest thing is that they were in the West probably because of Milwaukee. Uh, but but can you even answer that for me? Is it just because they were like, well, we need some? I mean, like, what, can you answer this for me? Because obviously they were, they had been in Atlanta for a couple of years at this point. That's just the way it worked out. They put Atlanta in the Western Division. It just doesn't make any sense. But it, it, when you look no, at this, these when you look at this, they had Felix Mion, who of course would become uh, very famous on the New York Mets later. They had Orlando Cepeda. Cleet Boyer, Felipe Alou. I mean, this was a stacked team. Uh, they even really had, uh, you got uh, Tony Gonzalez, um, Tito Francona, who's uh, uh, that is is that his father? I believe that so. Yes. And we got big red, right. and we got Big Red on back on the line. And and Big Red, I was saying that it was my uncle who told me one of the most impressive things he ever saw, and this coming from a Yankee fan was when uh, the Mets just pounded on the Braves in the NLCS. Yes, sir. They they swept them, I think, three games. And uh, mm. as as I heard Sam saying, this these were not a bunch of patsies. Um, 
what I can say about why they ended Negro up as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these these are not patsies. Uh, these this was this was an incredible team, and the Mets tore them apart with uh, with some uh, abandon. And I think that was I think that was, uh, I, I think that was uh, uh, a, a sign of things to come. Um, so the reason, by the way, the Braves were in the West was because of money. Uh, you know, St. Louis and Chicago wanted to be in the East because they wanted to play New York. They wanted to play, you know, you're looking at these hundred year old, um, uh, rivalries and whatnot. And, uh, Chicago and St. Louis were power teams and they didn't want to play, go, you know, they, they wanted to play in the East and, and, uh, um, that really is it. Money talks. And yep. another thing, too, um, uh, Don Clendenin, I believe, it says World Series MVP on this page, but that doesn't make any sense. But on, on the main page for the 1969 NLCS, it says that Don Clendenin was the MVP. Can anybody confirm that, Big Red? I'm sorry, I don't remember back that far. I. I don't have any documentation in front of me, but uh, uh, I, I'm going to have to punt. Well, so uh, here we have a 9-5 win in game one, October 4th, which is a great day in New York baseball history. I'm sorry. I have to take that back. Brooklyn baseball history. Phil Necro lost to Tom Seaver, and Ron Taylor took the save. Game two, October 5th, uh, New York Mets 11-6. to Ron Taylor gets the win after getting the save before, and we, uh, that that's uh, pretty crazy. Um, and I'm trying to open this game, but I guess I can't check it out right now. But Tug McGraw ends up with the uh, uh, the save in this one as Ron Reed loses. And Game Three, October sixth, the New York Mets went seven to four. Nolan Ryan gets the win. Pat Jarvis gets the loss. Um, Mike, take it away. Don, excuse me. Don Clendenin was indeed the World Series MVP. He had three home runs during the season. Tug McGraw, what an outstanding season. 100 innings pitched, 2.24 ERA. Back then, that meant something. Got a tickle in my throat. That's what I'm dealing with right now. Uh, the Mets left the birds flabbergasted. And I think... Earl, we- Earl Weaver's uh, behavior best demonstrated that. We knew him to be a hothead. That was nothing new. But I don't think he realized what was really happening to him on the field. Uh, he got kicked out of, what, two games, Big Red, in, uh, out of the five? I think that's right. Um, you know, he just uh, – sometimes, sometimes the manager takes one for the team to, to motivate them. I'm not sure that's what was going on there, um, but uh, you have to you have to feel for the poor guy. He was uh, he was fitted with the crown before they even started playing. So, uh, um, like so many other people, uh, he, he was in shock. It just wasn't supposed really to was. happen that. Oh, and he has a statue at Orioles Park, by the way. <laughs> Just want to throw that out there, you know, statues, this, that, the other. Two hard luck pitchers for the Mets that season. 
Caldwell and Jim McAndrew. I mean, really hard luck pitchers, good, effective pitchers who, who, man, the Mets just couldn't do enough to win them some games. Hard luck. Do you remember, do you remember any of that, Big Red? Um, am I, and, and I, again, I apologize. I wasn't expecting to be on this long. I don't, uh, I, I don't recall these things as well as I used to off the top of my head. Uh, hmm. Don Cardwell was an, was a good pitcher for that team. He was the uh, the father, I guess you could say, of that staff. Uh, you know, he was at least the big brother of that staff, and and you got to give him the props there. Um, also, Ron Taylor, you've mentioned several times, as as you may know, he later on went to medical school and became the Toronto Blue Jays team physician. Um, one of the interesting things also about Ron Taylor was that he was part of the 1964 uh, Cardinals World Championship team. The footnote there was that during the celebrations and afterward, Ron Taylor's wife couldn't find him. And uh, his teammates had to go back into the locker room where they found him under the coats dead drunk. He pitched well for the <laughs> Mets nine. Nothing ways about that. Now, here's a season... 1969, where I think Nolan Ryan demonstrates enough to make the Mets want to think twice when they go about trading him. Just saying, you know, <laughs> Sam, you got anything on that one? Well, I mean, I'm going to have to scan these uh, statistics because I wasn't there, but he had a 353 ERA, uh, and it's just basically uh, just like the Mets to think that he's never going to improve. <laughs> eventually give this up. He got 89 innings under his belt this year, as Tug McGraw got 100 innings. Um, and looking at it, you know, he's got 53 walks, which is definitely a lot for uh, a reliever, but Tug at 47. Um, and I'm not sure if Tug improved with some of those walks, but, you know, they also got better as the season went along. Um, and... I'm trying to, but he had, you know, 92 strikeouts and only 89 uh, uh, innings. So that's uh, more than a strike on an inning. Um, there you and, go. You know, and we're, and, and we're talking about we're talking about a day in baseball where batters were ashamed to strike out. It's not like today where they don't care. Right. You know, uh, it was uncommon for players to strike out. And how do you over change something like that? We don't need. We don't need to go down this rabbit hole, but I wonder how you change yeah. something like that. But I want to give a shout-out to Art Shamsky. Uh, we'd love to get Art Shamsky on this podcast, and, and I'm going to have to work on that. But looking at it, I mean, he batted 300 off the bench in 303 at-bats, 349 plate appearances, had 14 home runs and 47 RBIs, uh, 91 hits, uh, nine doubles, um, he, he, you know, didn't steal too many bases there, but walked 36 times had an OBP of 375 and a slugging of 488. Shout out to Arm Shams- Art Shamsky for being uh, an, an excellent platoon player on this team. One last shout yeah. out to Ken Boswell. I think he's the most underrated player on this team. Any last uh, words on the 69 Mets, Big Red? Yeah, going back. How do you trade Nolan Ryan? Uh, you, you, you gentlemen just answered that question. You really did. Uh, talk about Art Shamsky and you talk about Ken Boswell, but look at third base. Um, and the reason Nolan Ryan got traded was because 
the Mets did not think Wayne Garrett was the answer there. The, the why Nolan Ryan got reti- got traded was because Ed Charles retired, and the Mets made the trade. And and you know this is these are among the two worst trades in Mets history. Number one to replace uh, Ed Charles, they went out and they traded um, Amos Otis for Joe Foy, and. Uh, Amos Otis would not play third base for Gil Hodges, and Gil Hodges could not understand that. Um, you know, Gil Hodges was the third string catcher on the Dodgers, and Leo said, "Why don't you get a first baseman and try to take a few balls at first base?" And we all know what happened there. Uh, so, with that background, Gil Hodges could not understand why Amos Otis would not play third base, so he got rid of him. And uh, Joe Foy was. Uh, he became um, a liability because of uh, some drug issues. So that was mistake number one. Mistake number two was them picking up the shortstop from the California Angels, uh, who was only 30 or 31, Jim Fregosi, and they traded Nolan Ryan and, and three other guys for him, including Leroy Stanton, who turned out to be a really good, uh, a major league player on his own. Not great, but good. Um, and it was because they had Gary Gentry uh, and they had Jim McAndrew and uh, Nolan Ryan wasn't throwing strikes. Now, again, this is a small thing, but the difference between a National League strike and an American League strike was a huge part in Nolan Ryan becoming successful. That uh, that uh, height of a baseball, a huge difference for him. And uh, if he wouldn't have gotten that strike in the National League, and who knows how things would have turned out. Red, that's such a great point. You're absolutely right, because the American League, they wore the chest protectors, and in the National League, they did not. And uh, the strike zones were notoriously different from each other. Great point. Uh, we got a last couple of minutes. Let's jump right into our final words. First, I want to say on behalf of Rich Sparago and Sam Maxwell, this has been a Metsian podcast. We appreciate everyone who's come on the show this year so much. Thank you for all your affability, your friendliness, and all your insight. We can't thank you enough. Uh, we are going to squeeze in one more show. We hope to do it this Monday. Uh, have a little surprise set up in the stages of being set up for the fellas and uh, I, I think they're going to enjoy it. It's going to be me, Rich and Sam and uh, everyone and anyone, they're welcome to call for a quick comment or an end of year message. Uh, that'll be the plan. In the meantime, I will say my last word, Big Red, you've been one of our biggest supporters throughout. I can't thank you enough. Uh, you're you're your support of us is just outstanding, outstanding. And I thank you. I'm so thankful, so thankful and appreciative of that. That's my final word. Sam, I will throw it to you, and you will close out this show, sir. Well, you know, I, I'd just like to say the thank you to everybody out there as well. You know, this has just been a really trying year. Uh, we thought we were going to have baseball a lot sooner than we did, but we had to uh, – muddle the storm and the, you know, we've had a lot of good conversations on here and uh, in other places. And I think every single human being out there that has a serious conscious mind uh, 
uh, has learned a bit more about themselves and learned a bit more about the human condition uh, during this year as well. And, and I hope that everybody out there, uh, Mets fans or otherwise, uh, just do a lot of, of looking inside and just make sure that they care about themselves, care about others, and, and make sure that they take care of themselves because that's the biggest part of all this is that we need to keep our health we need to keep both physical health and mental health strong. Uh, and as we can see, when you, when you have a better system in place, as we've seen with this transition from uh, the Wilpons to Steve Cohen, you know, like, like when you have that better system in place, you can do wonderful things. And we have yet to see what this is going to mean for the New York Mets, but just based off of, the communication alone and, and the way everybody is going about it, the body language, it's a completely different environment. And, and I, I look forward to seeing what 2021 brings us, uh, both personally as well as uh, for everybody else. And I will, I appreciate it. But, but uh, uh, Mike, you know, before I, I say that those final three words we always say, is Big Red still here? Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. You're in charge. I left it up to you. Big Red, go ahead with uh, your final word. Um, as, as you gentlemen have said, this has been one strange year. And I'd like to say that this podcast and you guys' tweets uh, have been a wonderful oasis for so many of us. You, you, you've created a community here that is fun, that is intelligent, that is welcoming, and um, is uh, <clears throat> just a whole lot of fun. Otherwise, me and so many other folks wouldn't have been here, uh, and, and you ought to be gra- congratulated. As I said when I walked in originally today, this is an incredible mitzvah. So I'm, I'm grateful to be part of this and uh, uh, looking forward to more in 2021. Thank you so much. Well, like I said, Monday, we're shooting for that last episode. Uh, Again, a surprise. If you listen in, I think uh, you'll have a lot of fun. I think the fellows will have a lot of fun. I think it'll be a great way to close out the year. Sam? Only way to uh, close this one out is let's go Mets. Take care, everybody. Let's go Mets tonight. Thank you, Big Red. Good night. Bye-bye. Let's go Mets.